some weeks, all of us are just kind of like, whoa, so that happened. From KUER and PRX, this is Preach. I'm Lee Hale. If you're like me, there are people in your life who you've been meaning to have conversations about spirituality and God with, but you just haven't gotten around to it yet. Well, I think that while we're all stuck at home for the good of humanity, this is an excellent time to have those conversations. Over the phone, of course. So I reached out to an old friend and colleague of mine who I've always wanted to talk faith with, Sam Sanders. He's the host of the NPR show It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders, which he describes as a show about how the news feels, which is fitting right now because there is a lot of news, and I don't know about you, but I have a lot of feelings about it. Sam also isn't afraid to talk about God and prayer and faith on his show, which I've always appreciated. He grew up in a very strict Pentecostal church, which he left years ago, and he's still on the hunt for a new church that feels right for him. I wanted to check in with Sam to see how he's processing everything that's going on right now and how he's doing spiritually. I got to start out by saying I am right now in the midst of this coronavirus saga we're all living through. I'm incredibly blessed and lucky and fortunate for a few reasons. Um, I have a job where I could already work remotely as needed. And unlike our brethren and sistren in the food industry, I probably won't be laid off in the midst of this because the thing that I do and the stuff that I make can be consumed and made in the midst of coronavirus. So I have to start out by saying my heart goes out to all the folks that are going to be losing work in the midst of this, food service workers and the like. We've never been in a moment where we can all experience it so quickly and in real time together. I think my work right now is telling myself and other people, it is actually okay to unplug for a while. Right. As much as I love social media, I don't think it's effective for anyone to just scroll tweets all day about coronavirus. What does that look like for you? Is that hour by hour decision? Is it like a daily decision? Like, how do you manage that? You got to trust your gut. You know, I am a smartphone addict like the rest of us, but I've been really active in the last probably year or two, probably honestly, since the 2016 election. I've been really active and cognizant of how to maintain a safe distance from my phone. There are some nights when it feels like too overwhelming. I will take my phone down to the parking garage in the basement of my building and just put the phone in the car for the night. Mm. So I have no temptation with it. Then I go back up to my apartment and I either read a book or watch a movie or cook something, but the phone is not there. There are other things that aren't as drastic that I do to help with phone stuff. I'll delete Twitter from my phone if Mm -hmm. I feel like I need to, if it feels like it's too much. Same with Instagram. Things like that. Just like, it is really important to know that like we weren't actually made to be in our phones all the time. Right. We weren't made for that. It's not good for our psyche. It's not good for our hearts and our souls. Especially in moments like this where it feels like there's too much information to keep up with. You got to keep reminding yourself that it's okay to just like put the phone down. The other thing that I think is really helpful is just finding ways to be present. And there are lots of ways to do that. I meditate pretty frequently. I do yoga when I can. I pray a lot, especially Mm. these days. Oh, my God. But there are small things that you can do wherever you are, like 
it never hurts wherever you are. If you're feeling anxious or stressed or just have a second where your mind's not racing, count your breaths. Count the ins and outs of your breath for as long as you feel like doing it. Just doing that helps so much. You mentioned prayer. I want to talk about how you're feeling spiritually. Like, what is it like to experience this on a spiritual level? Yeah, it feels like more than ever, it's a really important time to be grateful. And so I think all of us should use this moment we're in right now to kind of flip our script and see challenges as opportunities and see life changes as opportunities for gratitude as well. Instead of saying, oh my God, I'm cooped up in my house, we could say, thank you, Lord, for a house to live in. Instead of saying, oh, I got all this crap that I have to cook now, we could say, thank you, Lord, that I'm not living through this crazy moment in food scarcity. Mm. Instead of saying, oh my goodness, my kids are stuck at home with me for the next God knows how long. We could say, thank you, Lord, for healthy, curious, energetic kids that need my attention. And thank you for this time to hopefully and possibly draw closer to them in the midst of this crisis. And it's hard. It's hard, but we can do it. The coronavirus freak out on the side here for a moment. I realize I haven't asked that many details in the past about like your religious practice. Like I know you grew up religious in Texas. Yeah, yeah. Grew up very religious. Are you a church going person right now? Is that part of your practice? I'm not. So I grew up strict Pentecostal. This was like charismatic, speaking in tongues. Some of the rules in hindsight felt pretty draconian. For instance, the women in the church did not wear jewelry or makeup. They did not cut their hair and they didn't wear pants, only skirts and dresses. Wow. All the time, not just on Sunday? Mm-hmm. All, oh, wow. All the time. <laughs> okay, all so this, time. Is like, this is like a lot, full-on lifestyle. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, we weren't allowed to go to school dances or the movies. We could only listen to gospel or Christian music. Wow. It was that kind of church. I had no idea it was that stringent. Very stringent. On top of that, I was the son of our church organist. Mm. So whenever the doors of the church were open, I was there. And some summers during my youth, I would be in Sunday service, Tuesday night prayer, Wednesday night midweek service, Thursday night testimonial service, Friday night church. And on the fifth Sunday of the month, if a month had five Sundays in it, we would just have two services on fifth Sunday just because. Wow. I was in church so much. I was also a member of the church band. I played the saxophone. Yeah, I was a church kid. Did you like it or were you? was this like forced on you? I loved it. It was all I knew. Okay. I loved it. I loved it. I think what kind of got me out of the church in adulthood was just, you know, come out of the closet. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's just not going to really vibe with the black Pentecostal church or most black Pentecostal churches. And I want to be really clear and say, like, no one in my church family has ever, you know, been prejudicial to me. But I have not worked out yet with them or other churches. I haven't vibed out yet how to make those things work. Had you already left home when you came out or did you come out, leave the church and then left home? I left home first. I'm not stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, I guess that's the point is like there is some grace in leaving the place you grew up because you can think, how do I want to be known? And it's really hard to break that mold of what people expect us to be, right? Yeah. And like, really, when you're going through a change as big as that, like the only way to do it is on your own terms. Mm -hmm. And for me, the only way that I could navigate that change in my life 
was on my own terms and not, you know, asking anyone for permission. Yeah. I for sure see myself back in a church one day. Haven't found the right one yet, but I'm sure it's out there. The thing that's hard, it's like I grew up in a black Pentecostal church and the music was good. Yeah. And the thing I find with church is often <laughs> the better the music, <laughs> the more offensive the doctrine. <laughs> really? So like, Wait, that is really interesting. Yeah. Like the music that I love the most in a church setting comes from the types of churches that are like sometimes pure fire and brimstone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like for me, the challenge is to find a church that has some really good music, but also a message that is a little more inclusive and accepting. I'm sure it's out there. I will find it. That's so interesting that you're saying that because I recently had the experience of going to kind of like a secular Sunday meetup for people who weren't church attending. I like spoke and I, I talked to everybody and they were all kind of former Mormons because this is Salt Lake City. But in the back of my head, I was like, there's something missing, right? Like this, It's the music. It, there's the music, but also there's just like the weirdness that binds you together. Like the more intense the doctrine, sometimes the unity and the togetherness can increase because you like you're- You get that Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, it's like, especially for me growing up, that was the place I wasn't weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you have all these places where you feel like maybe the thoughts in your head or the feelings in your heart are weird. It's like- you're not that weird, then it's like, where's the oomph, you know? like Exactly. What's making it happen, which yeah, it's tricky for me too. I got to say, Mormon meetings, the hymns are very subdued, but we have a pretty good choir. Is that the choir that has the like really cute Christmas concert every year? Yeah, they have a killer concert every year. Mm-hmm. Like recently they had like Hugh Bonneville come and like read Christmas carols with them or whatever. Wow, I love it. Have you ever had a church community outside of the one you grew up in? Or has this been kind of like in your adult life, you've just kind of... I've like gone to a few here and there, but none have really stuck yet. You moving on with your life, leaving your church community, was that a time for you to question your belief in God or was that strong the whole way through? Yeah, that's funny. I never questioned it. I've talked a lot with folks about this. I never once stopped believing in God. I kind of kept waiting for that to happen and it just didn't. (laughs) And after a while, I was just like, okay, this is what it is. I believe. I'm a believer. I still believe. I think... The way I conceive of God, the way I conceptualize God has changed, but I've never stopped believing that like he, she, they, them are out there like watching me, watching us and kind of, you know, rooting us on, hoping we make it. (laughs) That never stopped. Coming up, I talk with Sam about what his prayers sound like these days. Hey, it's Lee. If you're looking for a new podcast, check out Sick from WFYI and Side Effects Public Media in Indianapolis. In the 1970s and 80s, dozens of women went to a fertility clinic hoping to get pregnant. Decades later, their children uncovered the doctor's terrible secret. Reporters Lauren Bavis and Jake Harper take a hard look at the fertility industry, a doctor's abuse of power, and the lives he affected. Find Sick wherever you get your podcasts and find more info at sickpodcast.org. I admitted to Sam, and I have to you on this show, that I'm someone who wants to believe in God, but I find it hard sometimes. So I asked him to describe what his belief in God feels like when it's strongest. For me now, there'll just be these moments where something happens 
and you see it and you say, well, that can be nothing but divine. And it can be the smallest thing. A friend checking in on you, a rainbow that just like you see it at the perfect moment, lovely moments of serendipity, the little things that happen in our lives that are beautiful and sometimes small and poignant. Sometimes they're so beautiful, you say, well, that can't just be us. Something bigger and better than us was involved in making this beauty. And so for me, a lot of times, acknowledging God is often acknowledging the beauty that exists in our lives all the time. Hmm. I also think of God right now for me as just a way to never feel alone. There were moments in my life after I left the church where there was just a lot of family hardship, illness in the family, personal tribulations and trials. And the one thing I always remember was just like being able to pray and knowing that like when I prayed, I didn't feel alone. And so just for that alone, I can never stop believing in God because I don't want to feel alone. I think that I've had to work out the ways I conceptualize what God is for me, but I've never stopped believing in, I guess those two things, our ability to acknowledge and see beauty and our desire to not be alone. And so those two things being true, for me at least, means that I'll, I'll never stop believing. I can't. I can't. When you talk about not feeling alone when you pray or when you think about God, you rely on God, is it almost a physical feeling? Like, is it a pretty consistent feeling of feeling like company? Yeah. You know when you have those things in your life that you've, like, never said out loud before and never told anyone, and then you finally tell a good friend... Mm -hmm. And your good friend is like, oh, yeah, whatever, that's fine. Mm. And you're like, oh, that feels so good to, yeah. get, that my, to get that off my chest. That's kind of how it feels every time you pray, right? You can say anything and you can say everything and you're supposed to. And this idea that we can do that whenever we want with someone who is always listening, God, great, cheap, free therapy. Mm. And so like that for me is what I love. I can actually honestly tell God anything anything. Yeah. Why would I not want that all the time? <laughs> well, I appreciate being so open about this. And in, in particular, I think it's interesting. There's a misconception, I'll, I'll call it a partial misconception, that people in an industry like journalism might not talk like you're talking right now. Yeah. And I say only partial because these last four or five years that I've worked in journalism, it is rare to bump into people like you. I mean, when I was working at NPR in D.C., it seemed like I could count on just a few hands people who would show me that they would be interested in talking about religion. A lot of people are uncomfortable about it and don't really have a place for it in their life, which I completely respect. But you're somebody who believes, you're somebody who likes to talk about these things of the heart and the soul. And then you're also a great reporter, you're a great host, and you believe in fact-checking and you believe in trying to get a source of things like... Explain to somebody who might see an incongruent relationship between those two, why they're not incongruent to you. I mean, belief is fact. Belief in America, in the American sense, it's fact. Since the beginning of our country, since before that, a majority of the folks here have believed in some higher power. In fact, all of humanity, the majority of us believe in some kind of higher power. To this day, when the Pew Research Center runs the numbers, 
A majority of Americans believe in a higher power. They call it God or whatever, but they believe in it. And so to not talk about that belief is actually to ignore fact, right? And if I'm a journalist trying to cover the world as it is, it is in fact deceptive to cover the news and current events without talking about belief because belief has been a constant throughout America's history and even still today. So for me, when I see journalists, even some colleagues of mine want to not talk about God, I'm like, really? Would I deem myself a journalist worth their salt if I said, I don't like science. It, it annoys me. Let's just skip that. You can't skip it because science is a part of life and a part of the world and a part of who we are. I think belief is that fundamentally a part of American life and all human life. We believe in a higher power. When you avoid it, you're missing the whole picture. And then as far as like how you talk about it, you just talk about it. You have to be really straightforward when you're saying this is how I feel, but like it's how you feel. And you're not alone. Like when I talk about God or prayer on the show, people write in and talk about it with me and say, thanks for doing that because they're feeling it too. Yeah, I just don't believe in shying away from it. There's a parallel to me with journalists who try to make every story colorblind. Why would you ignore the reality of race in this country? Why would you ignore that? That is actually bad journalism. That is actually journalistic malpractice. And so if the story I'm telling calls for a discussion of belief, to not include that, this tenet of American life, that would be, in the same regard, journalistic malpractice. If it's there, it's there. Talk about it. And it's always been there. Have you ever had, either professionally or even socially, like pushback against you being as open as you are about spiritual things and about belief? There was one time we had talked to someone in Texas after a crazy tornado, and she was in the house with her family in the eye of the storm as it passed over. And I asked her, okay, you're in there as a tornado's coming over your house. She was saying that they were praying. And I was like, what did you pray for? And then she answers, and I said, well, that's crazy because usually I pray for stuff like this or something. And they wanted to cut out me saying that I pray. And I was just like, no. <laughs> and then they put it back in, and we got a lot of great listener feedback on it. And after that, it was never challenged. Just talk about it. That's significant. Like, not to make it sound like you're the only person that does that, but you're one of the very few journalists I've ever heard have those conversations as part of your work. And then also stand up for them. Like, that's a big deal. And I think a lot of people, I'll speak for myself, I know other people have this experience too, you just anticipate people don't want to hear that part about you. Do you just, in anticipation, kind of tuck it away, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't bring it up. And it sounds like you never you never gave yourself that, that option. Like, you were just like, this is who I am. And if you want me, you're going to have all of me. Yeah. And I think part of it is the nature of the show. When we built It's Been a Minute... The goal was to make it be a show driven by personality and the personality of the host being me. So, like, I talk about all kinds of stuff on this show. I talk about my love life. I talk about my God life. I talk about music and movies and books I love. Everyone knows all about my dog and my Aunt Betty. And so, like, the nature of the show lends itself to that as well. But, yeah, I just feel like if I'm going to show all of me, that's part of it. I don't know. There are some times when it's like, okay, Sam, if you're that guy who's known for, like, talking about God on the radio, 
you can't be an asshole at all. <laughs> you, really, you really can't. Because <laughs> they'll be like, weren't you the one talking about God and you just like flicked me off in traffic? To which I would say, you know, imagine me without God. It'd be mm, even worse. Right. <laughs> That's good. That's a powerful standard. What has your daily prayer sounded like the last week? Lord, give me patience. Whatever moment we're in right now, with this damn coronavirus, it's going to be a long haul. You know, it's going to be a long haul. Even once we're allowed to like go out of our apartments again, there are going to be millions of Americans who it's going to take months to rebuild their bank accounts and their businesses and their home lives and their children's school lives. So I ask for patience as we all work to restore ourselves once this is all said and done. And then I think the other thing that I try to ask for is just perspective. My life is not that hard. It feels weird right now, but I'm so blessed and I'm so fortunate and I'm so lucky. And I try to just keep it in perspective. I think a lot of times I kind of just like pray for the wisdom of my dog. Dogs are great. And I've been thinking a lot about dogs in the midst of coronavirus. I don't know if it's a blessing from God or what, but I keep thinking about how dogs don't get coronavirus. They can't get it. And I also think it's a moment for us to think about dogs and babies. They are able to be content kind of almost anywhere. If a dog is well-fed and has somewhere to lay their head, they'll do that. Mm -hmm. And they'll take the belly rub, crisis or not. You know, if a baby is well-fed and held, they will nap on your shoulder, regardless of what's happening on the outside. And I think what I want now is that kind of peace, that kind of wisdom to be aware of what's going on, but know that I'm still allowed to live a life and seek peace and joy and happiness in spite of what's going on. So yeah, I think my prayer is, Lord, give me the peace of a dog or a baby. <laughs> I would need that right now. We all do. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preach. And thanks to Sam Sanders. His show is called It's Been a Minute. And it's probably on your local public radio station over the weekend, or you can just find it wherever you get your podcasts. This show is a production of KUER and PRX. We have a newsletter where I'm currently trying to make sense of everything that's happening right now in the world. And our team shares recommendations of things that are making them happy and hitting them on a spiritual level. Find the sign-up link at preachpod.org. We're also tweeting, currently from our couch and in our PJs, at preachpod. This show is produced by me, Lee Hale, along with Trisha Bobita and Roddy Nickport. Our digital producer is Chelsea Naughton, and our executive producer is Joel Meyer. Preach is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. And thanks to all of you who've been helping out with reviews and stars on Apple Podcasts, like Terry, who says, I'm so thankful for this podcast. I spent my career developing interfaith initiatives to support people living in marginalized population groups, and I appreciate your exploration of faith, spirituality, religion, and the impact they have on your guests and our society. Thanks, Terry, and thank you for listening. I'm Lee Hale. I have you to thank for the reason that I binged Love is Blind. So oh, that's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs>